All right. Well, I invite you to give your attention to God's Word. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 2. We continue along in this series entitled, We Sing to Jesus. And I'll just confess to you that uh, I'm taking some liberty. For example, the passage that is before us today is thought by some to be a hymn or a song that Peter is drawing from as he wrote, or perhaps that he even authors in this place. But that's not for certain. However, I've preached to you from it as it is considered by some to be a hymn, but mainly because it being the Word of God, it teaches us important things about the Lord Jesus Christ and about what it means to follow Him. And so we give our attention to 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 21. Hear the Word of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so we'll ask the Lord to bless this reading of his word and give him praise for it. Amen. Life just doesn't make sense sometimes, and many people have noted that. Books have been written on the subject. I remember one that came out by Dr. James Dobson some decades ago entitled, When God Doesn't Make Sense. And I sometimes wished he had continued the title to say, To Us. Because God always makes sense. He always has a purpose, even when we don't recognize it. But one of the places and one of the areas in our lives where we find oftentimes it to be most difficult to make sense of things is in the midst of our suffering. It is for us to remember that the Lord Jesus suffered for our sakes. And as Peter draws from that truth in this passage, we need to give our attention to him and to what he endured for our sakes. After all, as the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Why would we think that as the Lord Jesus suffered for our sakes, that somehow we might be able to avoid it. He goes on in chapter 15, verse 20 to say, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so we come to realize the specific kind of suffering that we're talking about. The kind that results from persecution opposition that arises against Christ and his church. And when we see that unfolding in any generation, it should remind us that the Lord Jesus endured opposition of sinners and the ultimate violence perpetrated against him in order to achieve the greatest good. And if the Lord Jesus suffered in this world and faced opposition, you can be assured that we too will face the same. Indeed, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer with him. That is the norm. 
lays down the pattern that we might expect to see lived out in our lives. Now, that's not the most encouraging thing, is it? Perhaps we uh, would rather hear a motivational talk this morning and talk about how great we can be and how can we can avoid such things if we live our lives in the right way. But we are not interested in the world's take on things. We want to face life in the way that God has revealed life to us. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, beginning with verse 21, some things that we can discern are these. We are called to suffer with the Lord Jesus before we are glorified with him. We are called to suffer with the Lord Jesus before we are glorified with him. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now we all know that the cross has become something of an ornament in recent generations. I suspect some of you are wearing a cross right now as a necklace or some other way. And yet we remember that it is ultimately a symbol of death, that the cross was a horrible way of execution. Remember, the word excruciating comes to us from the same root from which we get crucifixion. It was a symbol of agonizing pain and terrible death. And so I remember Billy Graham preaching in one of his televised crusades one time, and he talked about the way in which crosses are worn and not to not to criticize that. It's a wonderful reminder to us. We have a cross adorning the rear of our sanctuary there. It's a shame you can't see it the way I do, but it helps me when I preach because I remember that I've got to always come back to the cross. As Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So I'm grateful that it's there for that reminder. But Billy Graham was talking about the way that we adorn ourselves with crosses. And he said, can you imagine going about wearing a replica of an electric chair around your neck? Or a firing squad? Or a, or a hangman's noose? You see, ultimately the cross is that place of suffering. And Jesus endured that for our sake. So make no mistake about this and all the things that it means, and I'm not preaching on this passage... When Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. Suffering and willing to face suffering for the sake of our Lord. In the same book that we're taking our text from, 1 Peter, in chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So we begin to get a sense of what lies beyond, that suffering is not all there is. We endure that for a time, and there's something better coming. But in the meantime, suffering is the norm for those who serve the Lord Jesus. As many rose up against him, we can expect there to be opposition against us. And so Peter builds on this theme. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. We see that we are called to walk that same pathway. Now there's a distinction between what Jesus endured and what we are called upon to endure, but nevertheless. Another passage that you might consider not in your folder, but nevertheless, it's there. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. 
Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So you see, if you've lived life and you've let yourself be informed by the culture, you know, if you've watched those movies and come to believe that the norm is for, you know, all to live happily ever after, For there to be uh, joy and peace and love in all circumstances, then this is going to seem like a very strange thing to us. You know, I think uh, while I'm, I'm grateful that uh, I grew up watching old movies with my dad, especially those old westerns, as I've told you about before, I like those old movies, you know, where you can tell who the bad guys are and you know who the good guys are. And the good guys always won. And somebody has told me in recent years, they said, well, that's not reality. I want to go to a movie, and, you know, it needs to bear out reality. And they were criticizing in particular, and I may have shared this with you, that movie, a Christian movie that was uh, that was produced uh, several years ago now, Facing the Giants, about a football team in, in Georgia. And there comes this poignant moment when a, when a kid, you know, steps up and he, he makes the field goal. Sorry to spoil it for you, but what happens it's a it's a real moment his crippled dad manages to stand at the fence and motivate his son to go out there and kick the ball and go through it i read this article that was all critical of that and they said that's the trouble with these christian movies they portray triumphalism and they portray uh, you know it would have been more realistic if the kid had missed the goal and i said you know i don't spend money to go to the movies to watch people miss the goal that's my life every day I live enough in reality. If I'm going to spend all that money you have to pay to get a ticket and then buy popcorn for which you could get a good steak at Ruth's Chris at the same price. When I get that stuff, I want to sit there and watch a movie that's going to motivate me and make me feel good. I don't want to go and watch more reality. I live it every day. No charge for that. But many of us have somehow allowed ourselves to be groomed into thinking that, uh, you know, life is peace and love and joy at all times in our experience. And when suffering comes, it's a strange thing. And many people get angry with God at that point. And they want to cry out and say, why this? Why me? Rather than recognizing that as we follow the Lord Jesus, it is the normal thing. So Peter says, the end of that passage, again, that's not in your folder, First Peter chapter 4. And in verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Our joy is complete because ultimately we'll experience victory when Christ appears or when we otherwise go to be with him. And so as we consider the matter of suffering, we see that by his suffering, the Lord Jesus is our supreme example, even as he is our victorious Savior. As Peter says, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. It's interesting. The word example, says F.F. Bruce, comes to us from the realm of education in Peter's day. And it refers literally to the faint outlines of letters which were traced over by pupils learning to write. 
Then also of the sets of letters written at the top of a page or other piece of writing material to be copied by the learner on the rest of the page. So how is it that the Lord Jesus is our example? He is as if a a letter that we can trace with our fingers, an outline, something that we can discern, a pattern to follow, or learning to write by copying letters over and over again on a page. You see, Jesus is our example. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, verses 2 and 3, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Founder meaning pioneer, initiator, author, who for the joy that was set before him, we like that part, But it was for the joy set before him, that which was yet beyond him, he saw it, and in the meantime endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So Jesus is our example. We continue, we persevere, we continue to trust by faith in the living God because we see how that the Lord Jesus achieved so much, so glorious a thing by having endured suffering. In chapter 13, verses 12 and 13 of the same book, Hebrews, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Be numbered with him outside the camp. Now, that's not what we want, is it? We want to be downtown with the in crowd. We want to be among those who are liked, those who are popular. We want Gallup to give us favorable ratings. And yet, here the writer tells us, no, go to him outside the camp. Not on Main Street where everybody is gathering figuratively, but out there where he suffered to be numbered with him, ostracized with him, if need be. And that runs counter to what we want and often to what we are pursuing. But redemption came because the Lord Jesus was willing to endure such things. He was willing to run contrary to the culture and to endure our sakes. Well, in that way, he's our example, but Peter moves on and says more as we bring this to a conclusion. The way in which he conducted himself as our example, look at those things as we read them again, as we might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Now, in that, we can't follow him because we're all sinners. But he was completely without fault. There was no deceit found in his mouth. And yet, in verse 23 of 1 Peter 2, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. You know, being a Christian means being like Christ. That's what the word literally means. Christian, little Christ or like Christ. And think about how contrary it is to Christ when we would want to fight back and yell back and revile in return. I was watching a video the other day of an incident of road rage. You know, and listen, I get as aggravated as anybody does on the road. And I've probably caused a lot of aggravation on the road. 
And it's it's a matter of the flesh rising up in us when we want to when we want to get somebody back for some perceived wrong that they've done us, whether it's on the highway or whether it's in our home. We always want to get defensive. When somebody brings up something against us, some accusation, you know, as uh, one counselor said years ago, we want to get historical. <laughs> Had a couple in a church, a couple of churches ago, and I got tickled. And the wife was saying she was in an argument with her husband. She got frustrated because he kept going out into the garage and then would come back in. So she finally followed him out there and she went out there and found out that he had written down a whole bunch of things that she had done on a two-by-four out there. and He couldn't remember them off the top of his head, so in the middle of the arguing, he'd go out there and look at his notes, you know, and he would, he would come back in and hurl them at her. He said it didn't do any good because his, her memory was better than his, and she was always able to recall more wrong than he could recall. But remember, love keeps no record of wrongs. And the sad thing is, is that we allow ourselves to fall into the pattern that we see depicted on the television. We see the way that people can fight back with barbs and jabs, stabs, verbally. And we mimic that rather than the Lord Jesus, who didn't open his mouth, even though he did no wrong. Now, I'm not in that category, neither are you. We all have done wrong. He did no wrong, and yet even when he was accused, falsely accused, he didn't fight back. So he's our example in that. He didn't open his mouth to argue back and get historical. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So you see, in this, we are able to demonstrate our faith in God, to know that he ultimately is the one who is our protector and the one, and the one who will vindicate us. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Many of us learned that in childhood. We didn't understand all that it meant, but we learned it. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It is not for us to take it into our own hands, but rather to follow the Lord Jesus. But also we see that the Lord Jesus is our shepherd who gathers, guides, and guards us. So inasmuch as he is our example, we also see that he is our redeemer. His suffering produced salvation. Our suffering, as we endure it for his sake, doesn't produce salvation for others, but it is an indicator that we really are his and we're serious about following him. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Interesting that Peter uses tree here instead of cross. It's, of course, the same word ultimately talking about that same instrument. But there is the Old Testament passage that says very clearly that anyone who is hung on a tree is accursed. And Peter wants to draw attention to that because Jesus was cursed for our sakes. He who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. And he points to that. And so Jesus dies for us. He bears our sins in his body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Again, something that's not popular today. Die to sin. We don't even want to talk about sin. If you ask the average person today what sin is, they'll probably say that it's breaking some kind of religious rule. 
rather than seeing it, as R.C. Sproul said, as committing cosmic treason against the Creator. It is the latter rather than the former. And yet Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, as we've already heard read today. The one who takes our sins is the good shepherd, the one who cares for us, the one who loves us, the one who has sought after us to rescue us. Further in verse 16 of John 10, he says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So through his suffering, he actually achieves and accomplishes something. Dr. Poland preached recently on this matter of shepherding. He talked about sheep. and Boy, you went up in a lot of estimation of many of us when you said you were in the 4-H. I mean... Your credentials were already solid, but man, that just puts you right up there. That, that was like you were talking my language there. You know, sheep are not the brightest animal on the planet. And I have given to understand, and there were some who raised sheep in Haywood County, and sheep sometimes would get out. Not like a horse that would just bolt through the fence and run. A sheep was more apt to stray imperceptibly as it would go from one clump of grass to another and then first thing you know it's out away from the fold. But when a sheep finds itself out away from the fold, typically in that situation, rather than just saying, oh, I'm free and bounding off into the great unknown, they tend to just lie down almost in a panic and not knowing what to do. It's like they just freeze up and they they lie down. And the only hope for that animal is for the shepherd or for the farmer to find the sheep. Find him. Find her. Bring them home. And it helps us to understand how that the Lord Jesus is that for us. He comes seeking after us. As in the 23rd Psalm, that beloved Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So our good shepherd, to whom we have returned, the one who has provided for us so abundantly so that we're able to talk about dying to sin, living to righteousness, putting off the old man, Repenting of those things that are displeasing to God, that are indeed treasonous against Him, so that we might live unto Christ. It's by His wounds that we have been healed. So there we are, straying like sheep. Sheep who had no hope of returning home except that the shepherd came looking. That's what it means. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls... That doesn't mean that a sheep got up and found its way back home. When it returns to the shepherd, it means that the shepherd is there. He has sought after the sheep and is there. Thus, we are able to return to him. You see, we didn't go seeking after the shepherd. He came seeking us. And we are kept safe. Now, I've given you a whole worldview that is completely contrary to anything that the world teaches, and I've done it in the last 25 minutes, and my time is up. 
And I can't expect that I'm going to reprogram you so that all of a sudden you're going to begin thinking just the way that Jesus wants you to as opposed to the way that our popular programming and entertainment would have us think. But I would hope that by God's grace, enough seed has been planted in your mind in these last few minutes that you would begin to ponder that just maybe the information we really need is in this book after all and that the more it becomes a part of us and the more that we understand the things in this book when suffering happens to us it won't be as some strange thing occurring to us and us wondering why me? Rather, we can rejoice in knowing that we are walking in the footsteps of the Savior. And we're not living for any benefit that we will ever realize in this life. There's something better coming. He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And there is a joy and a glory that waits for us that is far greater than anything we can know at this moment. And that's why Paul says that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to compare with that glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Father in heaven, we rejoice in Jesus Christ the Lord in knowing that he is our example and our Savior and there is none like him. So, Father, bless that this shepherd overseer of our souls may prevail in us that having found us, he will continue to guide us safely home. In the meantime, O oh Lord, for all that we may have to endure, until glory, give us grace to persevere and to endure it, knowing that you are working in us a far greater thing than our minds can imagine. For this we pray in Jesus' name. As we conclude together, we're going to sing the hymn at the cross because that's where we need to focus. Let's stand together as we do it.
Rachel, you're up here. You need to go back there because we want you and Greg to be able to go first. What I'm going to do is this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give thanks for the meal. For those of you who are able to stay and remember, we'd like everybody to stay if you can, but that's probably not possible as there are other commitments. So nevertheless, I'm going to pray, and then I'll pronounce the benediction. And as soon as it's ready, you can serve, be served and enjoy your meal as we'll celebrate our two graduates. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the time of fellowship that's laid before us. We thank you for food that's been provided and prepared. We ask your blessing on the sharing of it together, and we pray that you will bless Greg and Rachel as we are so very grateful to you for them. As we ask your blessing, we give you thanks. And now may grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with and abide with you all, both now and forevermore, and everyone said together, Amen. Amen.